morning. We're going to go ahead and let uh, our weekly reminder of how we are not only growing in new members, but also in children, and how we should be running into church like they do, as they are excitedly leave this room and go to the next. Uh, and if that was not a good enough joke, because I know Joey said I was going to have a good joke, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, that's all I got this morning. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. We're going to continue our study in Acts as we have for the past several months. Uh, when we started this, we saw in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus promised his apostles that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came and that they would bring that gospel that they had received throughout all Jerusalem, throughout all Judea and Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And here we are, Acts chapter 19, we're now 20 years after that. And that's what we've seen as we've moved through this, this record, re, historical record from Luke, is we've seen over 20 years the gospel do just that, spreading throughout all Jerusalem, into Judea and Samaria, and now making its way into Asia to the ends of the earth. So this Missio Dei, this mission of God, is continuing to be carried out. Here we're, we're, we're in the middle of Paul's third missionary journey. And last week, Luke did this thing. It was kind of interesting. As you're going through Acts, he kind of takes our attention off of Paul, right? And we looked at Apollos as Apollos was preaching. And he didn't preach the full gospel. And one of the things that Joey pointed us to, to last week is that this necessity for us to both have deep theological knowledge, but also zeal for sharing that knowledge. And so there's this delicate balance where we don't want to say we don't need theology because that might hinder us from going and sharing with people. But at the same time, that should, that should be the content that we're sharing with people. And so don't let your theology get in, in the way of your zeal. Don't let zeal get in the way of your theology was the way Joey presented that last week. This week, he's going to draw our attention back to Paul. We're joining up back up with Paul as he moves into Ephesus. And we get to see a really good example of what Joey talked about last week. Paul sharing proper theology. He has the proper theology, but he's also sharing the gospel because what Paul knows is that all people need the gospel. In our text this morning, we will see how he shared it with people indiscriminately. It didn't matter who they were, where they were, but Paul communicated the gospel to anybody that he could. The three specific groups, I say specific, two of them are pretty specific. One is very broad that we'll see this morning. He has the uninformed religious people that he comes into contact with. He has hard-hearted elitists that he comes into contact with. And then there's anybody else that would listen. So let's read our text and then we will get into, uh, get into this specific study. Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, 
telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come to you this morning, uh, as we have already done in song, declaring what we believe. And that's based upon the truth that we see in Scripture. So this morning, we ask that you would open our eyes to see and understand what your word says. Father, by the power of your spirit, would you, would you teach through me? Would I be able to speak accurately and clearly? Father, we pray that you would convict us for the things that this specific passage that you have intended us to see that we would have a desire to remind ourselves of what the gospel communicates to us and then a desire to carry out this mission that you've given your church to share that gospel with others. For those that need encouragement this morning, Father, I pray that you would do that. For those that need to be convicted this morning, we pray that your spirit would do that. Not me, but your spirit as the word is proclaimed. And we know that all of that would work together for your glory, and that's what we ask this morning. We pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. So let's first look in verses 1 through 7 as Paul engages the uninformed religious people. In verse 1, we get some context, right? So Luke is transitioning us from Apollos. He says, hey, while Apollos was in Corinth and he was preaching, now preaching the full gospel, now that Priscilla and Aquila have kind of pulled him to the side and said, hey, you're fervently preaching the things about Jesus, but you're missing parts of this. And so they correct him, and then Apollos just, you're right. And then he's, he's continuing to do that in Corinth. Well, then Paul, we shift back, goes into Ephesus. And there's a sense of urgency here, because Paul had actually said in chapter 18 that he wanted to come back and visit. He spent a, a brief time in Ephesus, and then he moved on. And he said, but I, I, I want to come back. And so the fact that it says he traveled through the inland country gives us some idea that Paul was really focused on getting back there because the inland country meant that it was the highlands. This was the more direct route into Ephesus, but it was the more difficult route to travel rather than going down through the valley. So Paul is traveling to into Ephesus, and when he gets there, Luke records that he found some disciples. Now, in order to avoid, avoid some confusion as we move forward, I think it's best that we define what that means. The word disciple literally means learners or followers. And what we've seen in Scripture is that you can, there were disciples of the Pharisees. There were disciples of John the Baptist. There were disciples of Jesus Christ. And so when we see this, where Paul found some disciples, the question we need to ask is, who or what were they following? We get that answer in verse 3. We see that they were disciples of John the Baptist. 
they have been baptized into John's baptism. And we saw this in our study of John, that despite John the Baptist's best efforts, when he declared that Christ must increase, but I must decrease, John the Baptist had a large following. Understandably so. If you recall, when we were going through John for like two and a half years, whatever that was, you recall that John the Baptist was the first prophet in over 400 years to the people of Israel. So he was a big deal. And because of that, he had, he had garnered a lot of attention, had a large following out in the wilderness, some people even thinking that he was the promised Messiah. And so that's who these people are. They are disciples, not of Jesus, but of John the Baptist. I'm not sure if Paul detected something in their speech or behavior, but he asked in verse 2, When you believed, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Now, why would, ask, why would Paul ask that question? It was not because Paul believed that it was possible for someone to have true saving faith and not have the Holy Spirit. I want to make that clear. On the contrary, Paul knew that the receiving of the Holy Spirit was a necessity for true saving faith. Not only that, but he also knew that this receiving occurred at the time of true saving faith. In fact, he wrote about it multiple times in his pastoral epistles. And so just for your sake and my sake, you don't just think that I'm just going to say that and then move on and ignore, because there are some aspects within the world of Christianity that would say that you need to have this true saving belief, but then follow that at some point in life where you receive the Holy Spirit and then be able to do some of the things that these people did where you're speaking in tongues and prophesying and things like that. I want you to see from Scripture where Paul specifically mentions the necessity of the Holy Spirit for faith and the timing of when that occurs. So let's look at Romans chapter 8. When we're talking about the necessity of the Holy Spirit for faith. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. And we'll read through verse 17. As we move through this, I'm going to stress, I'll slow down a little bit, but I will stress the things that Paul says to make it very clear for this point. Starting in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are not debtors. We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, 
Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Verse 9, anyone who doesn't have the Spirit isn't saved. Verse 14, all who are saved are led by the Spirit. You take those two sentences together and you see the necessity of the Holy Spirit for salvation. It is not possible to be saved apart from the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Now, when does that occur? Paul wrote specifically to this church, Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 1, and he mentions the timing of when the Holy Spirit is received. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. When you heard and believed, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. Those two things go together. And what Paul writes about is that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And that the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually discerned, and we are devoid of the Spirit. It isn't until the Holy Spirit gives us new life, regenerates us, that we would be able to hear and understand the things of the Spirit that are being communicated, and we believe. And upon that belief, when you've heard and believed, then you receive the Holy Spirit, sealing us for the day of glory. So why does Paul ask this question? Paul asks this question of these men to ensure that they are truly saved. This is a sign for those of us that are redeemed, that we have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit and producing spiritual gifts, fruit of the Spirit. And Paul doesn't know these men. He's just coming upon them and he says, when you believe, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Because that would be a sign for me to know if you were truly believed. Should I share the gospel with you and, or should I move on? Because you guys, should I encourage you because you were truly believers? Or, should, and, or do you, I need to stop with you guys? Their response in verse 2 gives Paul an indication of their spiritual status. Where are they? They say, what is the Holy Spirit? We've never heard of him. Well, Paul responds, well, if you haven't received the Holy Spirit, then into what were you baptized? Baptism being the symbol of belief, what Paul is really saying there is, well, then what have you placed your faith in? Their response, John's baptism. It's indicating that they weren't disciples of Jesus. They weren't disciples of Christ, but they were followers of John the Baptist. These men were uninformed religious men. Passionate. They're, they're Old Testament people that are following this baptism that was proclaimed by John the Baptist, 
repentance, as, as we see defined in our text. So Paul calls on them then, just like John the Baptist did, to believe in Jesus as the Christ. Now, what we've seen, Luke kind of just says that. He says in verse 4 that Paul said, John baptized with baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. Undoubtedly, what we've seen, the, the practice of Paul, is more than likely he started with Genesis and walked through all of that the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament today, walked through what Scripture said, pointing them to the fact that you see how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of this? Jesus is the Christ. It is in him you should believe. And then in verse 5, we see that they did believe. They followed in baptism. They were baptized in the name of Jesus, which means that they have believed in the name of Jesus and followed that in believer's baptism. And then in verse 6, we see that receipt. The receipt of the Holy Spirit. As Paul lays his hands on them. Now, what we've already discussed in Scripture, in Acts specifically, I'll remind you, is that it wasn't some like magic power that was being passed from Paul to them. That's not what was going on there. Very similar to this morning when we prayed for our new members, we laid hands on them. It wasn't that Blake, Trent, or myself are doing something magical, uh, some supernatural spiritual thing in that moment, but we are communicating in unity. We are lifting them up in prayer to our Heavenly Father. Paul, in unity now, now that they are believers, places his hands on them. And in that moment, they receive the Holy Spirit. In a very powerful way. They speak in tongues, and they're prophesying. That may make some of us feel uncomfortable in this room, depending on where we come from. Some of us are like, yeah, I grew up with that. That's normal for me. Others... Because yeah, I, know, I know you guys. So some of you are used to that. That's not a big deal. In fact, in my, where I grew up, they told me that if I didn't speak in tongues, then I wasn't truly saved. That's why I'm going into detail here with this. Because what I don't want is somebody to leave here today thinking that because they haven't manifested one of these spiritual gifts that they haven't actually been redeemed. Others of us, that's like, ooh, that's that like charismatic stuff that I don't touch, that we don't even talk about that. In fact, when we sang I believe in the Holy Spirit this morning, that kind of put me at unease. I don't know about that. We like to, we like to believe in the two persons of the Trinity and kind of that third one, like let's tiptoe around that one. What we see here is something that is descriptive, not prescriptive. Now, hang in there with me because I am not dismissing what happened here. But what Luke does, he is recording real events that occurred. What happened? Paul laid his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. These are real events that occurred. But this does not imply that this is a normative practice. This is not something that every one of us experiences. And I'll show you. Just in Acts alone. Turn back to Acts chapter 8. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch? Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 35. 
Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. What do we see? We see the Ethiopian eunuch believe, baptism. The Holy Spirit does something miraculous, but not with the Ethiopian eunuch. He actually does something with Philip. He carries him away. And Philip, later on, we see he finds himself somewhere else. But we don't see that happening with the Ethiopian eunuch. What about Lydia, where the church of Philippi was birthed? Acts chapter 16. Turn there. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us, and then they move on. What do we see? Lydia hears the gospel. She believes. She's baptized. There's no speaking in tongues. There's no healing. There's no prophesying. What about the, the jailer in that same city? Look at verse 25 in Acts chapter 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. The jailer hears the gospel, he believes, he's baptized, and then he's, he shows hospitality. And I'll direct your attention specifically to what, how they responded whenever he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe. That's all that was communicated. Believe in Jesus as the Christ. This is not a normative practice, what we see here in Acts chapter 19. But it is a real event. This is something that really happened. These men received the Holy Spirit and started speaking in tongues and prophesying. What do we do with that? So what we don't do, as I think I've made it clear, is we don't 
mandate that everybody have to do that in order to show that they are truly redeemed. But at the same time, we should be open to that if it happens and not dismiss the charismatic things that occur in Scripture. And I'm going to be honest with you. My tendency, I grew up in a very conservative uh, church, was to find a way to explain this that would be reasonable. And so what I've seen in Scripture is that as the gospel makes its way into new territories, there, that's typically where we've seen the, the, these charismatic gifts, as we would call them today, these spiritual powers occur. Thing is, the gospel's been in Ephesus. So I can't say that this time. So I don't know. I can't give you an answer, but what I do know is that it actually happened. You should be okay with that because that's what Scripture says. But also, don't feel like this, if you haven't done one of these two things, that you're not a true believer. We all manifest different spiritual gifts. And they all work together as we are members of one body, edifying the body, building up one another. Some of you are very gifted in hospitality. Some of you are very gifted in service. Some of us are gifted in teaching. But we all play different roles within the body of Christ. We receive those spiritual gifts, if you recall from our study in Ephesians, as he wills it. And it comes after we've believed. There are some who do experience this. These 12 men did. That's what I can say. There are others who don't. These 12 men experienced it as they went from uninformed religious people to followers of Jesus. And what we see here, what the main point of this, I, I, I taught that, I wanted to focus on that because I fear that some of you might read this and leave here today wondering about your salvation, so I wanted to make that clear. But the intent of this is not to, to focus on the spiritual gifts. The intent here is to think about what Paul is doing in this mission of God as he is sharing because he knows everyone needs the gospel. He does not assume that these religious people are already redeemed. He asks the question, have you received the Holy Spirit? Because this would give me an indication. He doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just celebrate and, okay, my job's done. My part in this mission is complete. Somebody else needs to keep going. He continues on. And he pursues the hard-hearted spiritual elite. As was customary, what does Paul do when he gets into Ephesus? Some of you can probably recite this. He goes into the synagogue. He spends time with the Jews. And he goes in and it says for three months he spoke boldly. He reasoned. And he persuaded them about the kingdom of God. One of the things that we keep telling you is that you're going to hear repetition in this book. Because Paul does the same thing. And it's recorded the same way. Paul, as was custom, goes into the synagogue and he's, he's spending time with them, proclaiming the gospel, pleading with them to believe. Undoubtedly, he's doing this from Scripture, just like we saw him do in Berea, just like we've seen him do in all the other synagogues. Unfortunately, what he finds there, the, the, the Jewish religious elite remain hard-hearted. They remain stubborn. 
in their unbelief. They're unwilling to relent. Not only that, but we see that Paul and these disciples endured some form of verbal persecution as, as they were speaking evil of the way, the Christian movement, as it, as it had been called. So after three months of pleading with them on a weekly basis in the synagogue, he withdrew from them and he moves on to the next group. I had to, I had to slow down when I got there. Because I'm wondering, like, okay, well, you know, we've seen where Paul withdraws in other cities because his life is being threatened. We've seen that. We've seen him not withdraw when his life is being threatened and be stoned. And then in this scenario, he's verbally being, um, going through suffering, but why does he withdraw here? I have to believe it has to be something with the Holy Spirit. Because what have we seen? We've seen where the Holy Spirit would prevent him from going into cities. The Holy Spirit would allow for him to stay there longer in other cities. So I have to believe he's being sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading here. But he doesn't just leave the city either. He may withdraw from the synagogue, but what does he do? He goes into a public place, and now he's proclaiming the gospel to anyone who will listen to him. He goes into the hall of Tyrannus, where Jew and Gentile alike will hear him. It's a public setting, and it, specifically it says for two years he went there. Two years on a daily basis. Now, it's likely tradition holds that what was going on in Ephesus, it would, this would happen between the hours of 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. This was like their time to take a break from work. Some of them would go home and nap. Apparently, some of them would go, home, go to the, the Hall of Tyrannus to hear Paul. And I just kind of have this picture of Paul being a tent maker, building tents, taking his break, going from 11 to 4 on a daily basis, proclaiming the gospel to anybody who would listen, and then going back to work after four to finish his day of work. To anybody who would listen. Why? Because Paul knew that all people need the gospel. All people. And we aren't told if anyone believed. We don't know that from Luke's record here. But we are told that everyone heard. Everyone heard the gospel proclaimed. And as we know from Paul, when he wrote in Romans 10, faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. Paul was committed to this mission. He shared with anyone who would listen to him. The implication for us this morning is all need the gospel. And I want to start with everybody in this room. Every single one of us in this room needs the gospel today, wherever we are. I would ask, can you, can you identify with the uninformed religious men? They were good, moral people. They were passionate about their religious duties. I'll ask you the same question that Paul asked them. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you trusted in Christ for salvation, or are you trusting in your religious duties as though they are pleasing to God? 
Can you identify with the knowledgeable religious person? Are, are you in this room and you're just here going through the religious practices? This is what I do on a weekly basis. But you're finding yourself hard-hearted towards the things of Scripture, towards the gospel, towards the church. You're tired of hearing the same thing over and over and over every week. Yes, Paul went into the synagogue and he reasoned and he explained and people believe. Big deal. Is that where you are? I would remind you that the only hope we have in this life and the next is that gospel that has been proclaimed. The gospel that, the good news that says that Jesus came and, and he died for your sin and my sin. That he was resurrected, which proved that he conquered death. He conquered evil so that we may be eternally reconciled with our creator. Are you a believer this morning that needs to be reminded of the gospel? Do you need to be reminded of the future hope that lays ahead so that you would walk in faith towards those ends? This week, I, well, I guess it was last Saturday, I've, I've kind of shared with some of you, I felt like a modern-day Paul. I uh, have a friend who's going through some stuff, and uh, I'd been thinking about it for a couple weeks, and I had a Saturday morning, like a true Saturday morning last week. So I, for some of you, like, I know your Saturday morning is like, yeah, my Saturday morning is changing diapers and all that. Okay, mine's not. Mine is coffee reading, things like that. So I, uh, I sat down after spending a couple weeks thinking about how I can encourage my friend and give him some, some spiritual advice. And I opened up my laptop and I typed him a letter. Who does that anymore, right? Well, like we don't even write. I, I found it so interesting. We've gone from handwriting letters. I was talking to Josh this week. We've gone from handwriting letters to typing letters to sending texts. Now we just send pictures. But I felt like I was a little like, almost like a modern-day Paul, and I reminded him of who he was in Christ. And one of, my, one of my thoughts this week as I've been looking at this, because I know that every single one of us today needs the gospel, is maybe you need to be reminded, just like I had to remind my friend, of who you are in Christ. And Ephesians 1 is a really good place to go see that. Paul wrote to this church, this church in Ephesus, and he told them, he reminded them of who they were in Christ. And so maybe that's you. And so if that is you, I'm going to do that for you this morning. And I'm not going to read through it. I would encourage you this afternoon, go home and read Ephesians 1. But I'll tell you, I'll summarize what it says. In Christ, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. By the one who rules the universe. In Christ, you were chosen before the foundation of the world to be made holy and blameless, holy and righteous. In Christ, you were predestined to be adopted into his family. You are part of his family. In Christ, you have been redeemed through the pouring out of, his, of Jesus' blood. In Christ, you have been forgiven when you fail to live up to that standard of holiness. In Christ, you have been provided with unending grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. In Christ, you have been given a rich inheritance. And as we've seen this morning, in Christ, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit 
who guarantees that you will receive that inheritance. All of us need the gospel. And we need it every single day. Maybe you're a believer who needs to go deeper in your understanding of the gospel, like Apollos. True believer, fervently preaching with accuracy about who Jesus was, but not having the whole picture. Maybe that's you. We all need it. And it's not just everybody in this room, but it's everyone on this earth. And so instead of focusing then on those of us who, are, who need to receive the gospel, we should also consider those of us who we need to share the gospel with, just like Paul did. We saw a diverse group of people engaged by Paul in the text we looked at this morning. There is a diverse group of people today that, that we are surrounded by on a daily basis that need to be engaged with the gospel. Have you written someone off because they're hard-hearted? It's, it's difficult to continue to pursue a hard-hearted person. And I can't speak for the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you to withdraw like Paul did from that group. Uh, I can't tell you to do that. Even if you do withdraw from sharing the gospel, I would hope that you would continue to pray for their heart to be softened so that someone else might be able to proclaim the gospel to them so that they would believe it. Is there someone that professes to be a believer but that you know lives in sin and does not show fruit? Are you avoiding a difficult conversation with them? Maybe we need to ask them if they've believed. Maybe we need to tell them why we're asking. It's not that we want to shame them. It's because we care about them, we love them, and we know that God loves them. And we know that they need the gospel. All people need the gospel. We must, as the church, carry on with this mission of God that we've been given. And as we go forward, let's, let's pray. Let's pray for those in our lives that may fit one of these categories, and let's also pray for ourselves. And then like Paul, let's go forward and speak boldly, reason from Scripture, and persuade everybody that will listen to us about the kingdom of God and pray that they would believe and that they would receive the Spirit that they would be sealed for that day of glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for difficult texts that challenge us, that force us to, to look in Scripture and, and, and seek a way to understand more clearly who you are and how, how you operate. Father, thank you for your word that tells us who we are. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would, would give us a burden for those around us who need to hear the gospel. Whether they're in this room, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, 
or they're just acquaintances, maybe someone that we work out with. Maybe it's a parent whose child plays on the same team as our child. Father, whoever it is that you are bringing into our lives, let us not forsake that, but understand that we have been set on mission. And let our eyes be open to those who need to hear the gospel proclaimed in word and in deed. Father, forgive us when we don't communicate the gospel well with the way that we live our lives. But as we've seen this morning, in Christ, we know that you've forgiven us for that. And we know that you are working all things out for your glory. Father, for those of us that in this room this morning who need to hear that gospel, I pray that this would be a time that this was a time of uh, that was refreshing for them, and that they would go home and, and search your scriptures for for what your word has to say about who they are. Father, if there's somebody here who's hard-hearted, Father, I pray that you would soften their heart by the power of your Holy Spirit, because my words can't do it; only your Spirit can. Father, if there's someone here who is just going through religious practices thinking that they are redeemed, but they have not received your spirit, Father, I pray that you would grant them new life. Call them to yourself. Father, for those of us who are believers but we're struggling with our identity this morning, I pray that you would remind us of the glorious truth that we have come to know and believe in your son Jesus and that we would live our lives in the victory of the cross. And that we would continue to go deeper into our knowledge of who you are so that we might be able to share our proper theology with zeal to anyone who would listen. Father, use this church to carry out your mission in our neighborhoods and to the ends of the earth for your glory and your glory alone. As we go into this time of singing songs of praise to you, Father, I pray that we would reflect on the gospel that we have received, this good news, and that we would rejoice with hearts full of praise and adoration for our King and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, it we do want to see him be lifted high. We pray this in your Holy Son's name, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.